eye buying is a problem. And I've gotten into Twitter fights on Twitter uh, with other people who are really deep into the you know, open door. There's a whole bunch of like open door fanboys and girls out there right. who are really into them saying they're going to revolutionize. And every once in a while, a company comes along and they say, you know what? All the realtors are they're outdated and they're useless. I agree. Right. I'm a realtor. I'm telling you, it makes no sense. You pay a realtor five percent, right? And a realtor shouldn't be selling you a property. They should just be handling the paperwork and the transaction and closing it, facilitating. Yeah. But really, escrow closes the real, you know, hard work there, and title does all the actual giving you the ownership. And the real estate agents there just to facilitate these other transactions. So five percent in aggregate is kind of nuts when you think about it on larger properties in particular. Yeah. So I get it, but I'm looking at all this, and I, I'm looking, and I'm saying to myself, like, okay. If that's where that we're at now, how is Yusuf going to make money? Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, relax your mind, and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. Welcome back to the show, everyone. We're going to jump into a segment from Barry Sternlich. If you don't know who he is, we'll explain. We're going to talk about the Fed rejecting a crypto bank's application to join the U.S. payment system. That's a personal favorite of mine. We're Mm -hmm. also going to talk about inflation, but did it stop spending and the economic signals that can be good and bad? We'll jump into a little bit of national home prices, which have further to fall, according to some economists. And one of the, I think, the most interesting articles of the day, Wall Street is losing out to amateur buyers in the housing slump. And then we'll round everything off with a couple uh, U.S. office comments and a little bit about how Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Mm, so we we'll send lot. you out on a happy note. We got a lot to get into. So, yeah. Let's jump into your boy, Mr. Sternlich. So before I play this, I want to say... <laughs> <laughs> You're such a terrible human being. I want to ju- give you a little bit of context as to where Barry came from. I saw Barry on CNBC talking about if the U.S. keeps raising rates... We're going to have, and he used, in his words, the Weimar Republic. He's basically saying that if we keep raising rates, everything's just going to blow up. Right. So, and then I posted this to my social media and I said, major facts. But I was actually kind of trolling everybody to see who would actually catch the mistake here. Just fall in line and agree versus question you? Yeah. So mm-hmm. Barry Stern, for those of you who don't know, he's an American billionaire, co-founder of a lot of stuff. He's in the hedge fund space. He's made a ton of money at Starwood Capital. All I'll say is you can be a very intelligent person. Mm-hmm. You can say a lot of stuff just like this. You can sound incredibly credible. That was intentional. Incredibly credible. <laughs> and still be dead ass wrong. 
Let's go. And, and people who talk about keep raising rates, I hear these guys on your morning show, I want to strangle them. Volcker didn't have a $32 trillion deficit. So here's the actual interest number. The federal government spent the following amount of money the last four years on interest expense. In 2019, $375 billion, then $345, then $352, and last year $475 billion. So here were the average interest rates those years. They were 0. Uh, five in 2020, 0. 0.1 in 2020, 2021. That's the average. These are LIBOR SOFA rates. In 22, they're 1.9%. This year, they'll be four and a half, five percent. Five percent of 30 trillion. We'll be up to a trillion dollars. A trillion plus dollars. On interest. And on interest. And that's, that's, so the budget that the White House put out has a $400 billion number that didn't, actually, they didn't update it for today's interest rates. This is their November number out of the White House, which is where they put the 1.7 trillion the, the fiscal this fiscal spending. So what he faces, if he keeps going up, you have the Weimar Republic. He has to keep printing dollars to pay interest on the deficit. And you wind up printing and printing and putting tremendous pressure now on all ends of the curve, right? So that will really slow the economy if the tenure goes to five because this thing gets out of control. And who's going to buy our paper? And we've pissed off the Chinese. They're not going to be buying our paper. And most countries are pulling back to their borders now with deglobalization. The banks will support themselves. So he risks this if he keeps going, these academics in Washington. He risks the entire financial stability of the system. You have the. So I'm going to stop it right there. Who's going to buy our paper, though, bro? Who's going to buy our paper? Yeah, our paper. Our paper. So, okay, everything he said was factually correct. We we said it on the show. You you the chief economist, the higher standard, talked about the impacts to, to the U.S. spending mm -hmm. in our budget right. a year ago. Right, and that trillion dollars, as he was saying, in interest only payments, is actually a trillion and a half. Yeah, well, yeah, one point seven actually. Yeah, yeah. Oh, even more. Even more, yeah. It, when you factor in all the real numbers, but so here's the problem: he keeps referring to if he keeps doing this, he he was basically saying that if Jerome Powell continues down the path that we're going, he's going to drive the economy into a horrible situation because the government mm -hmm. can't afford to pay its bills. Right. Except he's missing the bigger picture. Right. That's not Powell's problem, bro. That's not, yeah, exactly. He's not supposed to be concerned with that. Powell's supposed to be concerned with employment and monetary policy, and he's supposed to be completely neutral of politics. Independent, exactly. And last time I checked, government spending is a political problem, not the Fed secretary's problem. Right. So if he thinks that these concerns are what's going to calm him. So he's basically saying that no one's going to buy our paper. It's going to devalue the currency. No, mm -hmm. that's not what the Fed secretary is worried about. Right. Okay. All he wants to do is keep inflation in line, mm -hmm. make sure we have steady, healthy unemployment, which historically is closer to 5% right. versus the 3.5% we're sitting at now, which went the other way. So this, this whole rhetoric, this whole intelligent conversation, this billionaire who went on cnbc who you know speaking about all these facts is now getting caught up in in the political game whether he knows it or acknowledges it or not and this is how bias can take really intelligent people and really good facts and they can make you think that someone like the fed secretary has got to stop because it's anarchy man it's right. the Weimar republic right but so it's not though to, to play devil's advocate for jerome powell okay i'll play jerome powell in this Oh. He's tried everything in his power to get consumer sentiment to come down. He's come out more so than any other, you know, person that leads the Fed, the FOMC meetings, right? Well, it's kind of his job. He's the Fed secretary. Yeah, but we've we've noted on the show that he's come out and spoken more oh, yeah. openly. He, he's been by far and away the most 
communication-focused Fed secretary we've right. ever had. Yeah. Right. And if you look at it, investors aren't buying what he's saying. They're just, they don't believe in it. So, well, I think it's not that they don't believe in it per se. It's just that he has said he wasn't going to do things and then wound up having to do it because the data moved against him. Mm -hmm. And now they feel like sometimes when he says things, that could happen again. So, listen, so I, we did, I did a deep dive on this. Did you? From the Wall Street Journal. You told me you didn't prep for this show. I, I, I still prep. Even when I don't prep, I still prep. Wow. So, yeah. you not prepping, chief economist not prepping, right. versus normal human being not <laughs> right. prepping. Got it. So, from from the Wall Street Journal, there was there was an article, right? And they were citing the Fed Fund's futures market, okay? And the Fed said in its most recent summary of economic projections uh, that that's where the, all the FOMC members get together and they just send out what they're predicting is going to happen, mm -hmm. okay? They expect interest rates, this is they as in the FOMC, mm -hmm. expect interest rates to end at 5.1 to 5.4%. By the end of 2023. The Fed terminal rate. Right. That was okay. the in the summary of economic projections. Right. Okay. But, but huge ass asterisk, right? The contracts purchased through the end of the year show a 55% probability of 4.5% or lower. And worse than that, they're seeing a 2% chance at the rate being where the Fed said it's going to be. So if you look at the, the futures market, it's not, no one thinks they're actually going to get to where the Fed's saying they're going to go. So herein lies one of the biggest disconnects for most average consumers when they look at the market. Right. Is you expect the stock market to behave rationally. Mm -hmm. And you expect the traders and the people in the business of making money and frankly trading off, off of the idea of making money. Right. To act rationally. Exactly. But in a lot of instances, they don't. Because look at, look at. Barry that we just had on, you know, mm -hmm. quoted him. Mr. Sternlich. I'm not, I wasn't going to say his last name. I can't do it. Come on, man. That's a, that's a goat name. Because I'm immature. <laughs> so, so look, look at him. He's an intelligent guy. He's made a ton of money. And clearly his willingness to take financial risk has paid off in a very big way for him. Mm -hmm. You don't get to that level of status without understanding risk and taking risks that are calculated. Absolutely. That being said... So he, he, I'll go on with a quote here. So this is a great quote, actually. This came from the same show. You're going to have a recession in the third or fourth quarter, says Barry Sternlich. Uh, inflation will go negative in May or June because the housing equivalent number is pointing positive. The risk is Powell keeps going. So again, he's attacking Powell, right? The risk right. is Powell keeps going. Mm -hmm. And I think the reasons that he thinks that Powell should back off are, are completely disconnected to what Powell's function is. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't surprise me that the markets are reacting in a way that's equally disconnected. Right. A lot of people believe that Powell's not going to be able to hit the two to three target rate and that he's going to back off. Right. I think the material disconnect is, is that people think that he's sitting around waiting for, for inflation to be two to three percent. Mm -hmm. He's going to see us moving that way. Exactly. And then he'll get, feel like we're moving, heading the right trajectory and the right speed and the right cadence. And then he'll back off. He's not looking for us to hit two to three percent. Right. He's looking for us to start heading consistently toward it exactly but for him and anybody else for barry and anybody else to say hey like this isn't going to happen blah, blah blah let's bet against it the futures market it, it's kind of the, the way this works is is like everybody's on the same team of we don't believe him, we don't believe him until he does something against what you're betting on right and then it's like shit sell shit sell right and that in a lot of ways is kind of the behavioral economics of the market so if you see things like the inverted yield curve well the inverted yield curve normally precedes a recession and for those of you who are new to the show the two-year treasuries 
are higher in cost than the 10-year treasuries. Right. It's more expensive to borrow money for two years than it is to borrow money for 10 years. Right. As, as an example. So normally speaking, the 10-year should be higher than two-year. Whenever that's not the case, that's an inversion. Mm-hmm. And whenever that happens, it usually precedes a recessionary economy by, call it, 10 months to a year. Yeah. So it's usually a pretty solid indicator. And the fact that we've been in inversion for a very, very long time, the, the futures market's kind of crazy. At some point, whether you believe what Powell is going to do or not, mm-hmm. you have to expect that yield curve inversion to, to head out where the 10-year treasuries move long. Eventually, right. And when that does happen, it affects mortgage rates. Mm-hmm. More than anything else in the market, the treasuries will impact mortgage rates. Right. And mortgage rates will continue to move up. And this is going to blow people's mind in the housing industry. Because they're going to be like, wait a minute, the Fed's not increasing interest rates right now. We, we just got off this historic, let's just call it nine by March, nine Fed interest rate increases in a, in a row. Right. And we're, we're done with rates going up. Mortgage rates are going to come down and they're not going to. No, because they're going to hold them. They're going to dip. And as he holds, as he holds this Fed rate, right. the Fed terminal rate, sooner or later that inversion is going to come out. And then you have the 10-year price is going to go normal again where it's more than the two-year, right? It costs, mm-hmm. money, it costs more to borrow money for longer than it does for shorter. Yes. So because of that, mortgage rates will ultimately rise even outside of the Fed increasing interest rates, and it's going to blow people's minds. Right. It's going to truly blow people's minds. And if we are like Barry and even, uh, you know, we think into a more palpable recession in the third or fourth quarter, um, I even think late second quarter is a possibility. It's going to be because these pains are being felt in the markets. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, some, uh, and like you said, a, a lot of what he said was actually true, right? No, hundred percent true. Yeah. A, a lot yeah. of what he said was actually true. So smart guy. I'm not taking anything away from him. I'm just saying he, he's, he's materially misrepresenting what the fed's job is because he, he believes the fed's going to fold the political pressures. Right. So since 2001, the U S government has not budgeted well, and they've done it so poorly They've averaging nearly a trillion dollar deficit every year since yeah. 2001. Yeah. Think about it. If you had a budget and every year you're over a trillion dollars. Remember I told you I had that friend that went to the World Economic Forum in Davros? Oh, yeah. Or Davos, Davos Switzerland. Switzerland, yeah. So I posted this and he was the only person that caught that I was trolling. And he was so pissed off at me that I posted this. Mm-hmm. Because his logic is, look, you're running the country like a business. That's what you should be doing. Mm-hmm. And if you're running it like a business you should be thinking about the most important steps you can take to fix this problem. Right. He's like, raising the debt ceiling is not fixing the problem. Yeah, right. Having Powell back off increasing the Fed interest rate because the government can't pay its bills is not fixing the problem. Right. So he's like, look, what fixes the problem? A simple, simple thing. Stop spending so much. Right. You don't need a massive military. Mm-hmm. You don't need to spend billions of dollars in the Ukraine right now fighting somebody else's war. Right. That would be actually a really fun episode if we started to dive into all the extra stuff that the U.S. government is spending money on. That We could be like, why are you spending money on this? We could, but it would be so incredibly frustrating for a lot of people to figure out where the U.S. money is going. I mean, right. aside from the military spending and, and some of the stuff that we're spending on that that's just government-based, there's right. just a lot of stupidity right. built into the to the budget. Yeah. And so it's crazy. So... When when they do run out of money, they yes, they do have to borrow more money, as Mr. Sternlich said so eloquently. But something else that they could do, right, are, you know, there's things called like treasury secretaries, right? Yeah. Treasury secretaries are a big part of the function. Uh, tr- treasury securities. 
I was totally. This is why the interns got me looking at stuff over here. I'm looking at. <laughs> <laughs> What's the intern got you looking at? Yeah, hold on stuff, stuff that he's. I, I've turned your mic on. What, what, what am I looking at here? How yeah. much the U.S. government spends uh, each year, and it's a breakdown of each category. So some of the stuff that some of the stuff that we know that they spend on Social Security, Health, Income Security, National Defense, Medicare. Education. How do we spend one point two two trillion on Social Security and still not have enough? How does <laughs> it, that happen? It's still gonna run. It's still gonna run out. Like somebody's wheezing the juice, right? Yeah. Look, you're spending nine hundred fourteen billion on health, right. six hundred seventy-seven billion on education, training, employment, and social services. I mean, come on, man. For kids who? Got, kids got to go to school, bro. What do you mean? I'm just saying, six hundred seventy-seven billion. Come on. I've been <laughs> hey, to some of these on, schools, man. man. Like, come on, come on. Now. We haven't managed this. How do you have sixty-five billion in other? <laughs> yeah, other. Like, that's a lot of other, bro. <laughs> sixty-five billion, exactly. Transportation, one hundred thirty-two billion. Have you taken public transportation lately? Yeah. Huh. Come on, meow. Right. National defense, seven hundred sixty-seven billion. You're telling me we're spending almost twice the national defense budget on social security, and we still losing money. Still losing money. How? Right. I'm sorry. Let's get back in. In. So the the five types of uh, treasury securities, right, are treasury bills, mm-hmm. treasury notes, treasury bonds, like EEI bonds, HH bonds, and so forth. Right. Approximately one third of bonds are owned by Americans and American companies. So that's like investors. It's Banks. a good way to hedge risk in your investment portfolio if you want to get away from things like just going purely into Fortune 500 companies. Yes. Probably the easiest way I can explain it. So mm-hmm. if you're going to manage the risk in your personal stock portfolio, mm-hmm. bonds are a great way to do that if you if you want no essential risk, right? Right. Largely based on municipalities. So look, I, they're great investment vehicles for me personally in this particular market. I think you should plan to invest your money into something. Mm-hmm. But I think like Jamie Dimon has said, this is one of those golden nuggets. If you listen to the show and every once in a while we actually make some sense, this is one of them. Okay. I know I know that now. <laughs> you got to tell people, otherwise I think you're crazy all the time. All right. Um, look, in this particular market, you should be looking to invest in a couple couple of months. Not right now. Some very, very smart people, smarter than us, has said, look, there's a recession probably looming. Mm-hmm. The stock market has got more to fall. Right. Hold your cash. And I think that's the right thing to do. You can go to banks right now and get north of 4% on just like savings accounts. Right. Unless you got into like the I bonds or the treasury bonds that were paying high towards the year end, which if you did, you wouldn't be needing this advice now. I think you go into cash and you hold for cash and you just wait. Right for the right opportunity to either buy some good stock, buy a piece of real estate, or possibly, you know, invest in something that you want to, like a business. Right. So treasury bills have an interest rate risk in that their rate could become less attractive in a rising rate environment, which we know we're in. We're in. Yeah. And we're in a questionable rising rate environment too, because the Fed interest rate hikes are presumably done in February or March. Mm -hmm. You know, whether you believe one or the other, who cares? But we do think that in, yield, inverted yield curve is going to continue to push rates out right. and treasuries to continue to move as a result of that. Right. So if we're in that market, this is not the time. Exactly. Right. Yeah, I know I'm exactly hey. right. That's why I said it. But Bruh. So the, the scary part with, with where interest rates are and why the debt payment, as you mentioned earlier, is $1.7 trillion in interest-only payments, why it's so scary, and we've noted it on a previous episode, that... If you can't afford to make that payment, right? Okay, so you, you make that payment. You have to. Then you got to pay Social Security, right? You got to pay your treasury notes and your treasury bills, 
right? This We've never defaulted on any one of those ever. But if you do, you're now viewed all around the world as a less desirable place to invest, right? So now you throw yourself into question all around the world. And, if, and that's what Barry was referring to with his comment. And look, like, that's true, but... You you got to stop this the bleeding. But here. that's not Jerome Powell's fault, though. I, I agree with you. That is not Jerome Powell's fault, and Jerome, it's not Jerome Powell's focus either. Like, and it's I, also not just Jerome Powell. It's the FOMC altogether. He's just well, the guy not, speaking. It's not just the FOMC. It's 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 such a bigger problem on a macro basis. You've got the Senate. You've got the House. I mean, everybody is part of this. The right. the, the the whole presidential, you know. The cabinet, it, it's them, it's everybody who, in this process. This is not just one president, it's several presidents over decades. Right. It, it's just, a, it's a problem that nobody's been able to or willing to address because nobody wants to have that on their presidential resume. Mm -hmm. And nobody in Congress or the House wants to start making the hard decisions because when you make the hard decisions, people don't like you all the time. I know, right? So, like, they just need to start rejecting people the way the feds rejected this Cryptos Bank's application. Man. Uh, wow. That. <laughs> From like straight handoff perspective, that's a solid ten out of ten, brother. You know what I'm saying? You've been working hard at this. We do this. From Market Watch, Fed rejects the crypto bank's application to join the U.S. payment system. And I'll read you the quote from the article. Recently, the Fed highlighted that crypto activities are, spoiler alert, inconsistent <laughs> with safe and sound banking practices. <laughs> Which is the biggest exam for the bank, right? Yeah, safety, safety and soundness. And soundness. As shown by the significant volatility in the crypto industry in the past year. So I know how upset you are. Oh, there's so much that we can dive into in this, which I, I really want to. So the bank in question is called Custodia, <laughs> right? Which does not have federal deposit insurance. FDIC insurance. FDIC yeah. insurance. You want to tell the people what that is? Basically, they insure your accounts to make sure in the worst case event scenario, there's a run in the bank and the bank fails that you have some money left for you. Right. <laughs> so $250,000 personal. There are some circumstances which you can get up to 500000 But for the most part, 250000 is your FDIC insurance dollar amount. But having FDIC insurance in place really means something much more important to that, to the consumer, to you. It's that that bank is going through rigorous exams. Right. And that insurance is in place because they meet all of those requirements. Yeah. And if you're banking with a bank that does not have to FDIC insurance, it's time to pull out. <laughs> Well, I mean, look, you don't have to, but I would not put my money there. I would not. I, that, that's Why all would saying. you? It doesn't make sense. But more importantly, the rejection for custodia means that they don't have direct access to the Fed. Right. Which is something that every crypto, I guess, bank has been trying to get mm -hmm. and has been unable to do thus far. And now, because you, you have the FDIC and several regulatory agencies at this point sending out notices basically saying, hey, put your, put your pencils down on crypto. Right. You know, that shouldn't be attached to your platform. And I will say that Silvergate Bank, which we talked about on previous episodes, them taking the fall that they did. R.I.P. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they're still in business, man. <laughs> Just the question is, is for how long? Right. Yeah. We, do a, we should do a Deadpool. <laughs> yeah, we should, we should. do a Deadpool. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're not sick. We're just... We just like seeing other people fail. Yeah, no, we don't. All right. Well, in the explanation, uh, we believe this explains why it blocked Custodia from becoming a state member bank and why it's issued the broader policy statement. We do not expect the Fed to give Custodia a master account, he added, which basically means that the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City, who denied it, mm -hmm. is never going to give them direct access to to the, the U.S. Mon monetary system. Right, and this hurts them big time, right? Because if they if they would have, it provides them, and they even cited in this article, uh, external validation, right? Yeah, it's like, the it's like somebody the world, yeah, the world would have like a little bit. Cryptocurrency would now have a path 
towards being a valid connection to the to the United States monetary policy, right? To, to the monetary system, right? It's like it's like if you would have went to Davos, Switzerland, and then Bezos was like, this, Bezos. Hey, this this my man right here. Then everyone's yeah. like, oh, now I can trust Go him. Sign for me, yeah. yeah. Right. You do that. I mean, again, it would be like all good for my everybody. <laughs> I mean, know. that's it. That's all we my would reputation. need. My yeah. street cred would go up just a little bit. Yeah, Bezos. <sighs> One can dream. One can dream. So One wait, dream. so uh, you actually have you know a lot of like history in this too. What does it take wow. to become? Did you just insult me passively aggressively? No, no. I, a, lot of, a, a lot of people don't have experience in this to what become a state say? chartered bank. State chartered non-member bank. Yeah. yeah. So what does it take for somebody to get started and become a state chartered bank aside from all the exams and you know regs you have to clear? Well, you need a, a large amount of capital, mm-hmm. right? What, need, what is considered like a large amount of capital? It really varies. Um, assuming you're not buying a bank and you're just getting a charter and getting into it, like starting up. So de novo, as they call them, right? A startup. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need quite a significant amount of capital i would say probably at this point in time and it changes closer to 50 million to be real i mean you can get mm-hmm. probably do it for less i don't think a lot of people know that i think people think that you need way more than 50 mil to start a bank no i mean you, you could do it i mean the problem is, is is so your total legal lending limit the amount of money you could lend to any one customer mm-hmm. is capped at a percentage of your capital your total risk-based capital which is a fancy way of banking of basically capital mm-hmm. right Right. It's limited. And depending on whether you're one type of bank or another type of bank, it's usually about 25% if you're secured by something like real estate mm-hmm. or 15% if you're completely unsecured. Right. And these limits are put in place by your federal regulator. That's why you're in the Fed system. That's why you can get FDIC insurance, right? You have these right. limits and controls. Mm-hmm. Largely because it's considered safe and sound practices for limiting your aggregate exposure and risk. So back in the day before these things got into place, it would not be uncommon for a very wealthy uh, group of people to get together and start a bank, right? And what would they do? Yeah. They'd make themselves loans. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right? They would. Right. Those are called reg-o loans, and, insider loans. And all their friends' loans. Yeah, and regulation O loans. Or they'd make a ton of loans to one company, and if that company failed, there was 100% risk exposure. Right. Also a problem, right? This happened a lot in the Midwest, like the energy sector. So you're not allowed to be concentrated in any one, you know, any one borrower, any one industry, any one loan product type. Right. There's a lot of rules and regulations that go into this. And then if you're publicly traded, not only do you have the rules and regulation, but you Mm -hmm. also have outside auditing firms, you have SEC regulation. Mm -hmm. It can be very, very complex. But these complexities also make it so important and so safe for you, the consumer. Right. So. A, a lot of us see like a bank and we'll go, oh, it's publicly traded. Like, oh, that's all good. Like, whatever, you know. But these limits and these controls are what make it safe. They, exactly. make, they make that bank strong. They make, they make your money less likely to not be there if you were to go, I don't know, invest in something like Sam Bankman-Fried's little FTX <laughs> yeah, exactly. setup. And the money's gone right. well, because you had no regulation. Uh-huh. That, therein lies the problem. Like, regulation has value. It gives you confidence. Right. But And this is why... The cryptocurrency banks aren't going to make that connection. Mm-hmm. You can't have an unregulated industry with a decentralized network mm-hmm. and then plug it into a regula- regulated industry with a centralized network. Exactly. Yeah. It, it just doesn't make sense. And therein lies kind of the macro problem that I, I don't, I don't think, think there's ever going to get approved. Yeah. It's a, it's a hurdle that yeah. I don't think they'll ever be able to get over. It, it yeah. would make them incredibly lucrative, as, as the article mentioned. But uh, something I thought it was funny. The bank describes themselves as a special purpose depository institution, like uh, FTX did with the back oh. door and just transfer some money out. Like, what are we doing? Special purpose. Special, special purpose, purpose is to line our pockets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We want to get rich. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, look, there is no special purpose anymore. Again, if banks try to do something that's truly proprietary and unique, mm-hmm. you're generally not a bank. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's what you are. Right. That's and, why they have all these different departments, right? You can't be concentrated. So what is considered uh, a, like a, something that's a bank that has concentrated too much? Okay, give me an example. Uh, I mean, we have a high concentration of multifamily apartment loans. That, that's right. considered like a high concentration. But you have a lot of like business banks. But, but they perform well too, though. It depends. I mean, so the way you offset some of this risk is you start to diversify into other products, right? You'll do like single family residence, home lending. You'll do, um, you know, personal consumer loans. You can do CNI middle market loans. But within like the business lending world, right? right you have small balance, like to small companies. You have middle market, which is a little bit larger companies. Then you mm-hmm. have larger corporate lending, which is even bigger companies. So there's ways to diversify your risk inside each classification, right? Right. You can go into commercial real estate. Well, commercial real estate includes industrial, retail strips, multifamily apartment buildings. So there's all these subcategories of risk inside each one of these kind of macro types of, of lending that you can be into. There's equipment finance and so on and so forth. So all I'll say is all these rules and all these things don't really need to be known by most people. What you need to know is this. There will never, ever be a crypto bank. <laughs> yeah, there should be. And if there is, just please just go down the street. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah it's never going to happen. Right. So let's move on to inflation because I think there's a lot to talk about here. And I know how much you like to talk about inflation from love Barron's. Me, love me some inflation from Barron's. Inflation fell, but so did spending. The economic signals are both good and bad. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Quote from the article, core PCE price index rose 4.4% on an annual basis in December from 4.7% in November. Right. In line with expectations of economists, the headline PCE deflator. <laughs> Sounds like a Decepticon. <laughs> Includes food and energy prices declined to five percent last month from fi- yeah from five point five percent in the prior period. Further evidence of cooling inflation. And what would a reading of a quote be from Chris if he didn't screw it up three times? Yeah, have to have yeah, to do it. Fumble it, man. Reading rainbow. <laughs> so you're dating yourself again. I'm dating myself. It's- I, I think this just gives us uh, further confirmation that um, our boy Jerome Powell in two days is coming out with another. 25 basis point hike, you know? Um, it's a foregone conclusion. That's going to yeah, happen. By the time this episode drops, that will already have um, come out because today's the 30th. Uh, so, yeah, 25 basis points is guaranteed. So, as a reminder, core PCE excludes what now? Food and energy. Food and energy. <laughs> the two things we use the most. So, that's the other thing. I, I, find it, I also find it really convenient that the... Um, Inflation PCE that the that the Fed likes to look at is less than CPI, and and even we even think CPI is not being accurately reported. Oh, I know. It's not being accurately <laughs> so reported. it's like, what is PCE reporting? I know that's not accurate either. No, it's not. I mean, it's 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 an average, yeah. right? And the yeah. problem for for most of us, a basket of goods, is yeah, the things at the top uh, of the average bell curve right. are the things we spend on the most, right? And things that you can't live without. Yeah. So if you know, I can't live without you, and right. you cost me more money. <laughs> My site inflation is significantly more than the stated inflation. Because these days I'm looking pretty deflated. No. Come on. No. A little bit. No. No? You can't come in here rocking a low, low beard and expect me not to make fat jokes. I know. I need to. What? Yeah, bro. Like I, I haven't seen cheeks on you in years. Don't do this. It's very weird for me. It's, I, don't, I didn't know how to. I didn't know it was you. Are we doing this? I thought like maybe it was a shadow when you walked in. I thought we were going to be mature adults. I'm being very mature. I was just very off put by your beard. And my whole conversation today is way more professional because of your facial hair. Way more professional. It's just completely upsetting and throwing off my whole gig. <laughs> your whole gig. The whole thing. Okay. Well, 
Is that all you have to say about inflation? Usually, I'd love to talk about this. I'm surprised that's no, all. No, I mean got. we covered we covered this a little bit um, the the other day. It'll be interesting to see what the next few reports come out because I feel like it's just going to continue to get stickier and stickier. So your official on show prediction? Yeah, I'm putting in this situation. It's awkward for both of us. Mm-hmm. Is that there will indeed be 25 base point increase? Yeah, um, and I believe in March. I know this this one's a little dicey. A little controversial, yeah. A little controversial because people don't think, but I'm I'm gonna stick with what Jerome Powell said. Wow. Yeah, man. I'm going twenty five basis points in March as well. And I'll I'll co sign that, but that, I will that's, say that's, that's the one that I'm questioning. That that, that, that yeah. is the one increase that I'm questioning. Is yeah, this is early before seeing a lot of reports. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but but definitely February first and second, Fed meeting, twenty five mm. basis points. Done. Done. So, Fortune, national home prices have further to fall, say 24 leading housing market researchers, while five firms think prices have bottomed. Right. I picked this article for one large reason. We talked a lot about this in the last show. Mm -hmm. But this is a great way of kind of indicating how different smart economists are and where they think the market's going to go. Yeah. And maybe it's bias. Yeah. Maybe it. Maybe it's just they legitimately feel this way. But if you look, the the 10% peak to trough drop in home prices versus a 20% peak to trough drop in home prices. Mm-hmm. Still above 2020 still numbers. Still way, way above 2020 numbers. So I, I guess the way I, I, I position this Fortune article is I don't really care whether you believe that prices are going to go down a little bit. Yeah. I don't care whether you believe they're going to go down a lot. And I'm, by a lot, I mean anything north called 20%. Yeah. I think the, the shocking vernacular would be like, oh, my God, 2008, like, crash. But it's right. not really quite the same. Right. Here's what I'll say. You're still going to wind up in a better situation than you would have if you bought in 2008. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. You're going to wind up in a better situation for you, the consumer, if you would, than you would have bought in, call it, 2020. Yeah. Right? You're, you're, you're going to – your property made more money over right. the period of time – it went up in value. Yeah, absolutely. sure, it might go down a little bit in between, but, but unless you're selling your home, you. yeah, it doesn't mean anything. Exactly. Until you monetize the value of your home, whether it goes up or down means nothing. Now, if you're looking to buy a home, right, you might knock off about a year's worth of growth in some markets, but are you going to get 2016 pricing? Right. No. But isn't the, isn't the rule of thumb generally when you're looking to buy a home, you should be looking to stay there for at least five years, anyways? I mean, some people jump, man. I know some people jump, right? But in order to get some of that, the benefit of some of that principle to come back, right? You want to stay at least five years, they say? I've got a different theory, and I know I'm going to be very, I guess, uh, unique in, in the way I look at this. Mm-hmm. Um, I sold one home my entire life that I, that I owned that I, that I sold. Okay. And I deeply regret it. Really? Deeply regret it. Now oh, I will because it could be against, you know another cash flow tool. It could have been a cash flowing property. It went up a tremendous amount in value, even from when I sold it to now. Obviously, yeah. But I look at I look at myself as a younger person. I think to myself, okay, you know, you you buy a home when you first can because it's like a trophy for you. Mm-hmm. Like I could do this, right? But shouldn't you be buying a home because? It's the right financial thing for you to do. That should definitely be a part of it. Yeah, I, I it, mean, it should be a part absolutely. of it, right? So, but, but most people want to buy a home to maximize the home they can buy with the money that they make, and still live life comfortably. Yes. But my thought process has never been that. My thought process was, 
I want to buy a home that fits the mortgage payment that I want. I don't really care how big it is. I mean, you've also have the luxury at the time, at the times that you did, you didn't have a family, a growing family. Yeah. Well, I still have, look, it's my wife and my son and I in an 1180 square foot, three bedroom, basically attached townhome over a garage, right? So it's really the first floor, a bathroom, a kitchen, Mm -hmm. a small living area, a small dining area. And then upstairs is two bedrooms, two bathrooms. Right. That's not a lot of room for three I people. I know. And I know a lot of people are sold on what what's the American dream? You know, buying a home. You know, what does that really do though? You know, puts yeah, no, puts know. puts you in and they get you comfortable with the idea of living with all this debt, you know, locked in for thirty years. Yeah, I mean we've covered in previous episodes how, you know, you guys live in palazzos and you guys are crushing it with <laughs> your big ass houses. And I mean it's it's hurtful to me, but at the same time, like I don't have anywhere near the mortgage payment you guys do. Right. And I get I guess my theory is this. It, it's that you should keep as much of your payment low as you as you realistically can mm-hmm. so that you can leverage that money to save mm-hmm. and to buy more investment properties or buy another property for you to live in that's maybe a little bit more but still rent out the property. So do you have like a rule of thumb or something that you like to gauge off of like a percentage percentage of your income you'd like to put away or? But see, I know I'm at a different point in my life when I say this. So I'll give you an example, but take it, everybody take it with a grain of salt. Like I am in an admittedly different period of life than, than I think some people who listen to the show are. Yes. So at this point in time, my mortgage payment is 1700 bucks, not including HOA, but PITI is about 1700 bucks a month. Right. Um, with HOA, which we have a, a you know a relatively expensive one at three hundred and something bucks all in, I think I'm a little over. I think I'm like twenty one, twenty two hundred all is. They give you back month. massages too with that three hundred dollar HOA. No, but I have access to three pools, two gyms. How often you use that? I don't pools? ever go to right. ever. Yeah, yeah. and I, I I appreciate you being mean to me for no hey, reason. Hey, Professor Norris kicked game one time a long time ago. He did. And he did, and he did say, look, there are benefits to HOA too, though. You know, he is coming to listen to the next show. You think we can like subtly just put a mic in the room and see if he knows? <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, we'll just, he'll, well, he'll never know. <laughs> yeah, he'll never, he'll never, I'll know. never know. Yeah. We'll just, just, we'll, just we'll just clip it on to him. Like, don't worry yeah. about this. It's not like he listens to the podcast anyway. <laughs> no, anyway. Yeah. exactly. So, but um, so look, my, th- my thought process is this. Um, right now, all my properties, if I were to not have any income anywhere else, they would pay for all my mortgages and my home mortgage and my mom's mortgage. And I mean, all my expenses would be paid from just the real estate right now. I mean, you definitely played Monopoly the right way. Maybe. I mean, right. Monopoly's I mean, ideally, a, Monopoly's I, a long game, brother. You it never is know a long game, goes. but ideally, ideally, I could that go is straight to jail right away. <laughs> straight to jail, but ideally, that's the right move, right? I mean, you did it right. Live within your means. Well, but so living within your means is not easy to do. There's no. a lot of ego checking that goes on there. I can't tell you how many times when I and for well over a decade, I lived in a 580 square foot apartment. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times when I was dating, like I would bring a woman back there, and I, I think, stupidly I was driving a seven series that was like twelve hundred dollars a month. I Mind you, my rent back then was like fourteen hundred. Right. That's how much of an idiot I was when I was a kid. And what color was a, be- a beamer? Don't be, don't be this guy. What? I know you're gonna go to like the the Middle Eastern thing. And I didn't, I'm just asking. Beamers. I can't ask a question. Huh? The, the first one was black. Oh, okay. With well, the second one though, it's white. Yeah, that's what, okay. that's why I told you about the first one first. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I learned my lesson with stupidity and cars stuff like that. But I lived there for a long time. And I bought investment real estate, but I can't tell you how many, how many people, like girls would come to my house or like friends that come over to my house the first time and they would judge me. Mm. Or they, they probably didn't believe you for saying whatever. Oh my God, dude, I I, I, th- I still look back on that period of my life and I think that I lost a lot of friends who called me a liar or thought that I was lying about stuff mm-hmm. because they looked at the home that I lived in and the way I spent and they're like, okay, he couldn't be making the kind of money that he's, you know, 
that yeah. he, he acts like he's making because if he does, he wouldn't be here. Because nine out of ten people don't have that kind of discipline. They don't, or they think that that you're cheap because you don't have the money. And it's like, no, I've got a bigger vision. Mm-hmm. So I would still go out with friends and do things, and I would still pay for drinks and everything from time to time. But I, at the same time, like they didn't know I wasn't spending anywhere near the money that I was making. And then right. as you buy property and you start doing things, you know, the over time these things change. I, I regret selling the home that I sold because. I didn't need the money to get into more investments the same way now I don't need the money to buy another house. Right. So my key my key decisioning is number one, can I rent the property amount that I'm in to cover the mortgage? And the answer is yes. Uh-huh. For actually a couple grand, probably more. Right. And then the other the other question is, is what kind of property am I willing to buy that I'll raise my mortgage payment enough to where this current rental prop- property that I'm in mm-hmm. plus the properties that I currently have will effectively net the difference so that I'm not spending any more a month. Yes. So I'm spending $1,700 a month plus HOA, everything else. I call it $2,100, $2,200 a month, whatever it is, right? Right. I rent this property out. I can probably free cash flow about two grand on top of that mortgage payment. Mm-hmm. May, maybe, let's just call it 1500 Right. 1500 plus the 2200 So my next payment, $3,700. So I'm going to I'm gonna save as much money as I have to, to buy some place or whatever dollar amount that I want mm-hmm. to where the mortgage payment will be about 3700 bucks a month. And in right. my mind, I'm still spending the same amount of money as I would have because now I have my other property running out. Right. And that that's how I look at it. And I understand that's different and I understand not everybody has that luxury. Right. But that's where I'm at in life right now. That's where you're at in life. And so what, what, something that you know, you've shared with me that you've seen and I know that I've seen personally myself between me and friends and family is everyone has, you have, you get your budget. You know what your budget is going in when you're starting to look for a home. Yeah. Hopefully you don't stretch it out to where you're, you're too thin. But what ha- what happens almost every single time? People end up looking for something that's a little bit bigger. Oh, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, and it just winds up becoming like a problem, man. Right. So I mean, if you can if you can stay disciplined, you know, and stay true to your budget, think of this as a long game. I will admit, though, I also got married much later than most people do. I had a, I had a kid, you know, much most later right. than most people do. So, you know, I, I I don't think that I was intelligent in that way. I just think that I, I was lucky that I found my beautiful wife when I did and, mm-hmm. and we, we were in the position where we could decide to have a kid. We didn't have, it wasn't like an accident. We like, we made all this, this plan together, but right. so much of our lives were professionally set. My wife was already a registered nurse, you know, she right. wasn't, so we, we had done a lot outside of our lives together. And when we came together that, that it was, it was a better situation to start. Now it's really tough having a kid and being 40. Yeah. You know, of course. But right. You, you, you make sacrifices. So. Yeah. And I, and I think uh, the trap that a lot of people fall into is just thinking that I have to live this dream. Everyone else is doing it. If I don't do it, then they're going to start judging us, right? It goes back to what you said about ego. You got to really be able to check your ego at the door. I have a question for you, Said. Um, when you bought your house, the first one, right, right in Riverside, what thought process went into that? Because your wife was still going to school at the time, right? Like yeah. She, she was still going to school at the time, and I will say we did we did actually stretch it um, pretty thin at the time. But I knew that we just got married, and we were getting ready to start a family. And I I was always of the mindset that um, you got to stay somewhere for at least like five years, you know, to get that principal back in your equity. And I know it was in 2015, um, so there was no real concern for the market to dip again. So, and I knew we wanted to live near my in laws. So I knew we, were, we wanted to put some roots down for a little bit, um, and that, that's why we bought back then. And luckily that we did, it kind of worked out. 
because um, the equity that we needed to make on that helped us move into, you know, where we're at now, which is a much better school district for the kids. And see, this is what most people do. And, and this is where, again, I'm glad I didn't, mm-hmm. but I understand why most people do it. Like you yeah. have to sell your old home to buy a new home. And, yes. And therein lies the challenge, right? Yeah. So you don't get the benefit of the rental property yeah. because you're jumping into a new property because you need that, that down payment. Right. And uh, I mean, I completely get it. Uh, and that that's why I tend to live in places longer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 10 years as opposed to just a couple of years. And that's also why I, I've been a little bit more pragmatic about my spending and buying investment properties over time. I knew my money would go a lot longer in the Midwest than it would out here. Right. But, you know, three, four properties, call it cash flowing four or 500 bucks a month, that winds up being a mortgage payment, mm-hmm. you know, and you keep doing the math there. So it, it, it's a long game, man. It definitely is. And I had the, the good fortune of timing on my side when I started buying. Not right. that I was intelligent. It's just when I had the first time I had money. So I right. started buying like that. But yeah. very, very different perspective. Yeah, this is something that, you know, um, I wish I didn't know much about this growing up. But my parents, we, we grew up in L.A. County, right? I was actually it was in Lamita, but it, it bordered Rancho Palos Verdes, right? So um, the condo that we were living in at the time, the mortgage payment back then, I, I find this out now, years later, the mortgage payment back then was like five, $600. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then my parents sold that place, even though they had jobs where they mm-hmm. could carry both, right? But sold that place so that they could buy their place in Anaheim Hills. Yep. And looking back on they're like, man, we could have carried both. And I heard those stories a, a lot when I was a kid. And I, I just, I... I've sold one property and mm-hmm. I sincerely regret it because I know that's what time does. Right. Time gives you that perspective to look back and go, damn it, I shouldn't have sold it. So I swore after selling that, that property, mm-hmm. I would never sell another one again. Right. Uh, I, was, I, was telling, I was telling a close friend of mine about this too because he was asking me, he's, you know, um, getting ready to get married soon and he wanted to buy a place. And he's like, Poor guy. what made you, what made you want to buy that, that big house? Cause that, the house that we had, that first house we had was like a four bedroom house. I was like, Oh, I know we were going to grow into it. We were planning on having at least two kids. And he, what he wants to do is, you know, buy a condo at first. And I said, Hey man, there's nothing wrong with that. You could buy that. And then hopefully the mortgage payment is low enough to where you can continue to carry it moving forward. And it could be your first rental. So yeah, I mean, yes and no. So the other problem, the other downside is the buying like a townhome with the one I live in. Mm-hmm. So I originally bought that as a rental property. And then when I did the math on it, it made sense for me to move into it. I moved into it. And my wife and I, you know, like being close proximity together. So whenever we get in a fight, you have to be in the room with one another. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Yeah. I want to get away from you. Fine, go upstairs. We can still talk to her. <laughs> yeah, through the vents. <laughs> yeah, through the vents. But uh, so I, I get that. But the problem with townhomes is they don't go up and down as in value as much as right. like a, a single family residence detached property would. So right. Just something to keep in mind. If he wants equity over time, like quickly, you're yeah. just not going to get as much equity over time in that property as you would uh, versus a single family residence that's mm-hmm. detached. It's just uh, cardinal rule. Yeah. So being as how I'm an amateur investor <laughs> who, who kind of grew into it, I found the next article uh, on Bloomberg to be really fascinating. And I, I did want to go a little bit left here with how we normally do things mm-hmm. because the first couple of paragraphs are really interesting. Okay. And I want to pre- I want to preface this right. So that everybody understands exactly kind of what the, the background here is. The article is titled, Wall Street is Losing Out to Amateur Buyers in the Housing Slump. And really what they're talking about is iBuyers. Okay, institutional buyers. In, in order to, well, it's not just institutional buyers, but it's also the people who buy, the, the companies that buy without seeing it sight unseen, mm-hmm. or they're just buying it digitally. Okay. Which is becoming a reoccurring trend is that people will teach you how to do this on social media, TikTok and Instagram and everything else. 
vis-a-vis these companies like open door did it zillow did it they had eye buying platforms and they, zillow exited they lost a lot of money open door still does it they've hit they've had some pretty significant hits though the last couple quarters mm-hmm. so i'm gonna read the art some some pieces from the article here and just just starting a couple of a couple of paragraphs because i think it was really interesting to kind of hear some of the perspective so rad yusuf that's his name he's, he's rad he's rad yeah that's a great name drives his pickup truck past cactuses and sandstone cliffs hunting for phoenix's best real estate bargains now yeah now yeah on this december weekend he pulls into a subdivision of blocky pueblo inspired townhomes from the 1970s the bare dusty landscape evoking the sounding de- surrounding desert which got barely just really descriptive for a bloomberg article yeah like, get to the money people Come shout on. out anyway here's where it gets interesting the 31-year-old Iraqi immigrant knows the neighborhood well. He got his start in the city as a janitor at the Phoenix Sky Harbor Air- International Airport, world's worst airport, just a five-minute drive away. Mm-hmm. Now his passion is flipping homes, and he's quite good at it. He figures he's made $200,000 buying and selling them in the two-year pandemic-fueled housing boom. So I heard that, and I thought, okay, wait a minute. We already know this. You are problem. buying and flipping homes during the pandemic, which arguably may have been really good for you or really bad for you. The data seems to show that it may have been really good. Yeah. And if that's 200000 in a really good value increasing economy. Right. What do you do now with all the carrying costs? Okay, exactly. Mm-hmm. And is it going to continue to be that good? And when you break it down two years, it's $100,000 a year. I understand it's better than being a janitor. I understand that 100%. Yeah. Oh, that's a lot of work though. That's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. He's also, he's playing general contractor. So let's get some answers to those same questions that we just brought up. Mm-hmm. Yusuf uh, punches in a code and swings open the door to his most lucrative 2022 flip, a two-bedroom townhome in this development. He unloaded it last spring just as the market was starting to sink. Big institutions from Silicon Valley and Wall Street were still on a buying binge, at times making unbelievable offers sight unseen, the eye buying. Right. In this case, a company called Open Door Technologies... <laughs> See how I foreshadowed kids? Yeah, well that's done. What a, that's what a pro does. Yeah, well done. Inc. Uh, paid $265,000 for the property. 30000 above the five other bidders, he says. Wow. So Open Door comes in and outbids five other bidders by $30,000. Now, for those of you who recall during the pandemic, it was incredibly fucking difficult to win a home. Oh, yeah. Right? People were waiving all the contingencies. Yeah, all the contingencies. You'd have to put in offers. You'd have to overbid. And here comes an iBuyer, institutional buyer. Right. Open door technologies, and they're buying it sight unseen with an offer above five other people. What? How could this end badly? Yeah. <laughs> open door is now asking $218,000, a $47,000 loss, not including its fees and renovation expenses. But even that asking price is too high, Yusuf Yusuf says. After four price cuts, he smells blood. He's eager to buy back the home he once owned. Here's a quote. It's always about the right number, he says. Open Door says such losses reflect an unprecedented market decline. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I've got so much sass. Yeah. So... It goes on and it talks about eye buying in general and, and, and some of the other stories that are very similar to Yusuf's. But here's what I will say. Mm-hmm. Eye buying is a problem. And I've gotten into Twitter fights on Twitter uh, with other people who are really 
deep into the you know, open door. There's a whole bunch of like open door fanboys and girls out there right. who are really into them, saying they're going to revolutionize. And every once in a while, a company comes along and they say, you know what, all the realtors are they're outdated and they're useless. I agree. Right. I'm a realtor. I'm telling you, it makes no sense. You pay a realtor five percent, right? And realtors shouldn't be selling you a property. They should just be handling the paperwork and the transaction and closing it, facilitating. Yeah. But really, escrow closes the real you know hard work there, and title does all the actual giving you the ownership. And the real estate agents there just to facilitate these other transactions. So five percent in aggregate is kind of nuts when you think about it on larger properties in particular. Yeah. So I get it, but I'm looking at all this and I, I'm looking and I'm saying to myself like, okay, if that's where that we're at now. How is Yusuf going to make money? Is he going to buy low now and and try to flip it for more money? Because obviously values are going down. No, this guy's he's he's out of a job in this market. So are flippers done in this market? Yeah, is that what we're saying? I think so. I mean, you can't. How are you going to be able to? Not you got to think about. It's not just the carrying cost of the loan, right? It, think about all all the supplies. Supplies are up too, right? Uh, lumber is getting a little better, but it's getting you know, better. But everything just work in general. The, the the biggest shortage of supply in the world economy, particularly the U.S. economy right now, is labor. Is yeah, labor. Unemployment's yeah. too low. Unemployment's way too low. So I mean, if if your Panera Bread's charging you an inflation fee, what is what what is your general contract? Oh, yeah. Well, you? and then everybody I know in the flipping business has effectively gone out of the flipping business at some point in time, and just said, you know what, it's just not worth the amount of work. Mm-hmm. for what you're getting and they go into things like wholesaling and which i'm not a huge fan of either it's frustrating because i i, I think to myself like all these people need if you're gonna be if you're gonna be in the flipping business in my mind the only right. way to be successful if you truly want to flip homes is you have to do all the other auxiliary things too you've got to be a real estate agent right you've got to consider wholesaling Mm-hmm. You've got to, you know, flipping is one part of it, but you also probably should become a contractor. Absolutely. You, yeah. sh- you should get immersed into it Do and have it. other somewhat related auxiliary sources of income because flipping in and of itself carries the risk of losing money on the project. And also doing as much of it, keeping as much of it in-house as possible. Yeah, because you're going to cut costs that way. 100%. Yeah. So was it uh, not too bad of a left read, read from the actual article? No, no, you did good. I mean, you only fumbled like three times, but. You know, I, I'm not. I'm not uh, saying that I can read well. <laughs> yeah, but I did do pretty well in the earnings call, which you didn't listen to, did you? I still haven't, man. It's, God, it's, you're a there's been a lot, go- a lot going on. You're a terrible friend. But um, another thing that I think we've talked about on a previous episode is how like big banks and other institutions are buying entire like subdivisions. Oh yeah, so the developers, uh, the developers got smart and said, okay, maybe we can sell off like big blocks of single-family residence homes that we built, like subdivisions, like right. 5,000 homes, some crazy-ass amount. Which is so crazy to me. To I don't think I've ever seen that. Have you ever, buyers. Has that. Have you ever seen that where like an entire subdivision of homes are all rentals? You just go into a neighborhood and all the homes are just being rented? I think in most cases you wouldn't know, but nothing, I, in my in my experience, and I don't know if this is true factually, we'd have to probably fact, someone needs to fact check me, and they'll probably DM me telling me this. Uh, I don't know that I've seen a market where single-family homes have been bought at the cadence that they've been bought mm-hmm. the last three to five years. Yeah. I, I don't know that you, you've seen, because institutional money always was in commercial real estate, multifamily apartment buildings, and then institutional money somehow said, you know what? And I think it was Blackstone that originally kind of kicked this off. Mm. Again, don't fact check me. I'm not 100% sure who was the started it, but they really pushed hard on single-family buying. And 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 the argument is, is okay, you're, you're taking Americans dream of home ownership and you're driving up prices. Yeah. But every time I've gone back to look at the institutional buying and in, in some of the markets, it's never been 
as high statistically as you think that it should be, even for these like large, like even Arizona that we just talked about, right? You know, Phoenix. Even then, I mean, ten, twelve percent of the market is still not a huge amount of it, right? I think the biggest problem is is that a lot of these markets that you see, there's just not a lot of listings. So if institutional money is buying even a couple of them, it's 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 impactful now, but over the year, it's not a huge amount. Yeah. So, I mean, food, we food have, we haven't even started to see the delinquencies creep up yet, and you know, bankruptcies, and I think that's still to come. I think so too, but I, you know, again, you know, you can't have historic high household debt levels and spending on credit cards and buy now, pay later on pizzas and expect there not to be problems. <laughs> I just it's, that, that one's never going to leave us. I'm never going to let that go. No, I'm never. The fact that I saw that, it, it, oh no. Yeah. U.S. offices reach fifty percent occupancy for the first time since COVID from Bloomberg Business. I had to read this twice because I was like, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait, wait, what happened? Yeah, this is so. This is why banks aren't allowed to have too much of a concentration in, in the particular product. Yeah, so so office buildings have finally reached fifty percent since the pandemic. They had been below that, and I, I didn't know that. I knew they were low. Yeah, and and every once in a while I'd talk to somebody and be like, "Oh, that building over there, that's that's twenty four percent occupied." And I'd be like, "Yeah, but you mean like physically? But there's more tenants." And they'd be like, "Yeah, but this was a pretty ominous title." And I brought this up for two reasons. One. It's completely factually relevant to what we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. It's important. <laughs> and two, to rub salt in your wound. <laughs> Why? Why my wound? Because you're part of that 50%, baby. You're coming back. <laughs> Go, coming back, baby. Next coming month. back to America. Yeah, man. All right. So the quote from the article, more than half of workers in major U.S. cities went to the office last week. Mm. I'm pausing for emphasis. Right, by the way, the you know Elon's changing course on this. You know that, right? Don't go against Bloomberg business. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay. Elon Musk is not a businessman. Yeah, He's yeah. a business man. man. <laughs> well done. Well done. The first time that return to office rates crossed 50% of their pre-pandemic levels. An index of building occupancies in 10 major metro areas increased 0.9% uh, to 50.4% in the week ending January 25th, according to security firm Castle Systems, spelled with a K. Yeah. The extra sass. Yeah. All of the cities tracked by the company, including San Francisco, Chicago, and Austin, Texas, reached returned office levels of 40% or above, which was also a post-pandemic first. Mm. How does that make you feel? 40%. I'm part of it. Yeah. Are you part of it yet, though? No, not, not yet, though. Does this count as returning to work? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, this is. I am at work. I feel like this is the second job, though. <laughs> it's the second job. This, yeah, but this is my... Uh, this, Wait a minute. This, this is my five to nine. Light bulb moment. We were giving the intern a lot of shit for having two full-time jobs at one point in the time, in point in time historically. Yeah. And you kind of do, too. I, I for sure do. I've yeah. got like 14, though. You, you got a lot. Yeah, it's not normal. Well, um... Ironically, with everybody going back to work at the same time in this historic debt level and all these things that we thought weren't supported, mm-hmm. I ran across on the exact same Bloomberg business page an article which uh, I found a little bit shocking, but then it kind of made sense. Okay. More Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, even those on more than $100,000 a year in income. I believe that. I totally believe that. The share of Americans who say they live paycheck to paycheck climbed last week, and most of the new arrivals in that category were among the country's higher earners, a new study shows. Yeah. This is more than like the median salary. What is the median salary? Odin, can you look that up? Well, he's looking that up. Some 64% of U.S. consumers, equivalent to 166 million people, were living paycheck to paycheck at the end of 2022 
according to the survey by payments.com, spelled with no A, P-Y-M-N-T-S. They don't like vowels. Mm -hmm. And Lending Club. That's an increase of 3% from a year earlier, or 9.3 million Americans. And of that group, some 8 million people were earning more than $100,000 a year. Yeah, this goes back to living beyond your means and what we were talking about earlier. So let's see, uh, 54000 per year. So the median salary of the U.S. Uh, in the U.S. in the second quarter of 2022 uh-huh. was $1,041 per week or $54,132 per year. Right, back when wages were keeping up with inflation. They're no longer doing that. Yeah, man, that, that's uh, that's not so good. Yeah, um, I mean, what would you... <laughs> What would you say? What's the first thing somebody could do to, you know, correct this problem? I, I, mean, have, this, living, I have this conversation literally, literally if, twice if a week with somebody. Really? Yeah. If you're living paycheck to paycheck, I know we, you got to first, we got to, you have to have an honest conversation, you know? It's tough, man, because we, by the time people come and talk to you about it, which I'll say for the people who do that, I've got a tremendous amount of respect because they're, they're, they're coming to somebody outside of their circle of trust and they're having a very candid conversation about their financial position. And it usually, goes against them because I'm pretty aggressive in the beginning because I have to face you have to face the cycle. You've, always, you've always been like that though. Tough love. You're calling me an asshole, but that's that's fine. no, no. Some people it's need not, that. It's not necessarily tough love, man. It's just like you can't solve this problem unless you address the cons- underlying concerns. Like oh, you know, yeah. like it's real. Right. A lot of people just like they want they go to people that tell them what they want to hear though. That's that's the problem. So I can appreciate and respect that. I like someone that gives me a little tough love from time to time. You know, wink, I wink. Just had a terrible wink, wink, nudge, oh, nudge. My God. <laughs> I just, I am a terrible human being. What'd I just do? had a moment. What was your moment? The average income was 54000 with some change. That was what it was? Yeah. That's not even my full Amex bill every month. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> why do you do this? That's so why, bad. Why do you do this to yourself? No, I'm being honest. Listen, like, there, are things, there are things you're not supposed to admit That's the truth, though. Yeah. As stupid as it may be, that's the truth. Yeah. That's that's not good. That's not good. Yeah, I I was thinking to myself, like, am I disconnected? Yeah, you're disconnected a little bit. But see, my transparency has value, though. It does. It makes for good entertainment fodder for you (laughs) because you call me all sorts of names. I'll I'll try to put it. You know, look, I'm just saying, it's it's one of those things where it doesn't matter how much money you make. I've seen millionaires living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, I know a few off the top of my head that I don't like so much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> Rhymes with Fanny Hashman. You know? <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> uh, but uh no, but but seriously, you, you it's like again, the wealthy when I worked as a teller at Wells Fargo, it was the first look I ever had into like real wealth. Yeah. And it was never the guy in the suit and the and the the nice car that was rolling in that had like a ton of cash in his account. Yeah. And as I'm older now, I also know that I don't keep a ton of cash in my account either. Like I shouldn't judge a book by its cover, and you should be investing your money. And that isn't necessarily indicative. But I'll tell you, the ones that always crushed it, that dude coming in wearing board shorts and like a Hawaiian shirt, mm-hmm. who was super nice, that was the guy with the account that crushed. Really? Yeah. I was also back back then when I was in college. I was working the merchant teller line. Oh, ball so hard. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt, I felt, I felt like a pro. All those coins, plop. Yeah, exactly, dude. I'll never forget one time. Um, I'll, it was around like five fifty, so the bank used to close at six, right? And um, the cops showed up with you know trash bags full of cash. What? Yeah, trash bags full of cash, and told us to count it. Okay, apparently there was some drug bust that just went down, and they couldn't hold it overnight. So they came in, they dropped it off, right? And they and I stand. Is that there. a thing the cops do? 
I, this is the first or, time it or happened. Was there like a bunch of cops who were like trying to flex on you guys because they didn't want to count the cash. So listen, so listen. Yo, count the money. So listen, so I count it, and you know how. Yo, count the money. You know how it is. Ignore the white stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so when you run it, you know you, they got those little machines that they yeah, count, they count the cash and the counters, and it, has, it breaks out all the denominations, and whatnot. But when you do that, you got to run it twice. The numbers got to match. Yeah. yeah. You know, so otherwise it's wrong. So you got to you got to keep doing it. Until the numbers match up, and those counters aren't—they're aren't, not reliable. They're though. not reliable. It's not, and they're not clean very often. So sometimes bills run through twice. So you had dirty money. Yeah, you, you can imagine how many times. So it ended up coming out to some something around. It was over a million dollars. Okay, um, it was like how much you steal? No, so no that that that's what I'm getting at. You did steal? No, I did not steal. Sounds like it sounds like you just, yeah. you just had I didn't go said. straight to jail. No, so it was right it was like somewhere around a million, like eighty thousand, some some random number. I can't remember, but I was like, "That's an odd number for a drug bust." Yeah, you, you know, know why? I mean, I feel like it should be a round number, guys. Hey, Mister Officer, why is this exactly <laughs> one million dollars? Yeah, he's like, "Hey, shut up and do your job." Yeah, why is your drug sniffing dog all in your crotch right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, to your point though, working the merchant teller line, I, I always used to see it was it was the guys that never looked like they were balling that were actually balling. Oh, of course, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent, and that that's just yeah, that's just the way that it is. Mm-hmm. So. Before uh, we move on, I-, I thought there is a relevant part of the conversation that we should probably talk about. And, uh, well, being as how you've stolen money before. Wow. Right away. No trial, no, no nothing. Journalists, we have a special jail for journalists. You're stealing right to jail. You're playing music too loud. You were stealing Just right, to, right jail. to jail. Right, right. We're not, we're not going to beat that uh, imitation. Stealing. Yeah. Because that's not a real country. A lot, a lot he's, he's, doing, a lot. he's doing an SNL skit from a non-real country. A lot of people reached out to me and asked. No, they didn't. They asked. They, no, they, they asked like, "Well, that's well, not true." How, how was it? Was it good? Was it bad? I was like, "It was great, great." The imitation, the imitation was great. Yeah, the impression was great. Dude, I don't. I still don't understand this thing. But let me. Okay, so I thought this through a little bit. All mm-hmm. right, like, and I'm, I want to be honest. Like, I don't understand the the sentiment here. So, to be clear, if I did a British accent, mm-hmm. would that be racist? No. Okay. Walk Look, me through. I, I got lots, 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 lots of logic here. Okay? okay. If a British person goes on uh, an acting gig in the United States and they mm-hmm. say, you know what, British person, I would like you to sound American for this role. It's uh, Daniel Craig. Great example. Right. He did a country western movie. Right. Sounded completely American. Right. Is that racist? No. The problem is that it's not, it's not, it's the intent, right? No one can ever measure the intent. And there's certain there are a lot of groups out there that get easily offended, and I know that there's this, there's a stigma out there right now. People talk about why are we catering to everyone's feelings if if there's two million uh, comments and you know two thousand leave disapprovals. Are we really going to cater to the two thousand? I'm just saying, like, I, are we at the point now where you can't do a, a respectful impression of somebody else to sound real without? I like I understand like you can't do certain things in movies anymore. You couldn't make Blazing Saddles today. You probably couldn't make Tropic Thunder today. Right. You couldn't make a lot of the movies that were once entertaining. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying like we we can't we can't do like a real life representation just just for audio purposes. It's sad that it's come to this point. But personally, because there's certain group there's certain groups out there that I've heard got offended at certain types of jokes. Whereas I view it I view it differently. Whereas if you're being made fun of, it's inclusive, right? That's how I view it. 
it's inclusive. Everyone's getting the jokes. So, okay, let me ask you a different way. I, we were at Disneyland this weekend, my wife, my son, and I, on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. And they have um, uh, their Chinese New Year. Yeah. Their parade thing going on. And, uh, or just New Year. It's Lunar New Year, sorry. Yes. Lunar New Year, sorry. They had their Lunar New Year thing, and everybody in the parade was Asian. Yeah. You know, it's cool. I mean, Vietnamese, Chinese, like all, all whatever. Right. Um, but then I thought to myself, like, what if a Caucasian person wanted to do this? Yeah. Is it, can you, do, can they say no to that? I don't know. I, honestly, I don't, I don't, it, it's, it's to the point where it's, it's bad when you can't even guess what is acceptable and what's not acceptable. Well, he's, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. And, and yeah. I'll say this too, like, you're technically Asian. Yeah. Afghanistan is in, is in Asia. It is in Asia. Can you do an Asian accent without upsetting people? <laughs> no, I don't think I can. Why not? I don't know because you're it, Asian. Yeah, here's the here's but here's the thing. I think people measure, try, they attempt to measure the intent, and if if you're if you're doing the accent to get laughs out of the accent, I think that's how people get offended. Whereas if you're doing the accent just to be more relatable and to tell the joke, and if the, the joke is funny, then it's acceptable. But now it's now it's like no longer black and white. There's a lot of gray area. You see, uh, you ever watch Joe Coy's comedy? Love Joe Coy. It's funny, right? Hilarious. You know, he does like an entire skit where he does like every type of Asian culture. He does like mm-hmm. Japanese, he does Korean, mm-hmm. he does Chinese, he does Vietnamese, he does, yeah. and of course he does Filipino. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he wouldn't be able to do like a Jamaican accent. But, but he can do, I mean. I know, I know, I know, I get it, but I'm saying he would I've get backlash. I've been to Vietnam, bro. I've been, have I been, I've been to China. Yeah. Those countries are nowhere really near each other. I understand. Those people that, if you told a, a Vietnamese person they look Chinese, they'd probably be offended in some cases. Right. If you go to China and tell a Taiwanese person they're Chinese, they get very offended. Right. So I, it's, I feel like we've trivialized things on like this like national scale that that other people, I mean, it's just weird, man. Like we've gotten to a part to a degree that's too sensitive. Eddie Murphy's entire comic career where he came up in the stand-up circuit couldn't be done this day, these days. Right. Couldn't be done. Even George Carlin. George Carlin, great comic. Great but comic, Couldn't yeah. do it. Couldn't do it. Yeah. yeah. Dude, I have a crazy story. Um, Who is this? Oh, yeah. the, the intern. Yeah. He should have like a doorbell where he rings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know Pineapple Express, the part where they're like, ring, ring, ring. They're like knocking on the door. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, anyways. Um, right over Chris's head. <laughs> I, did, I didn't so, know it either, but I feel bad for you, so I just yeah, gave it to yeah, you. Yeah, it was a terrible, yeah, a terrible <laughs> reference. Never mind. Um, so this is why was, we don't give you a mic. <laughs> it's fucked up. Um, I was working at Scorpion, a marketing agency, and I had a technical question. So one of our engineers was explaining it to me via email, and I replied all saying, I don't understand this. Please give me a call. You're, you're speaking Mandarin to me. I, I don't understand. Ooh, yeah. 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 Dude, yeah I don't you can do that. Up. I got sent up to HR. HR had to have a talk with me, and I got a warning. Right. You got uh, a warning? What was yeah. the warning? How, how did the warning go? Was it like, hey, you can't make they fun have, of this person's they, culture? Yeah. No, but but was, was that one, person, was that person, what was their ethnicity? Um, No, they were, they were American. Oh. But there was someone else. Or, or American is Caucasian. not a, is it Caucasian. an ethnicity or like? Uh, Caucasian. They were Caucasian. Yeah. Yeah. But because what? I clicked reply all, there was someone on the engineering team that was, I think, Chinese. And that rubbed them off the wrong way, and then or it they, could be viewed, or could be viewed to be, but that's like what you, you rubbed him off the wrong way. He rubbed, yeah. Uh, did you rub? 
I'm just, I'm just we almost I'm made it. Articulate. We almost made it. I'm just trying to articulate. He <laughs> said what he said. I mean, I'm sorry. I didn't understand what you were Hour and nine minutes. You're referring to hour and nine minutes made a dick joke. Well done. I, I, I didn't know such thing. I'm just literally trying to figure out what he said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, I. I mean, I can. You, so you I, made I him feel uncomfortable it. is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. See, I mean, that was, you could have said that instead of okay. rubbing the wrong okay. one. Yeah. Like Chris does to me every time we get in here. I make you feel uncomfortable. Just a little bit. Well, like I'm just thing. asking clarifying questions. I'm this waiting, whole thing I'm waiting, I'm waiting for our HR department. <laughs> oh, come on now. Like, I'm just, I'm legitimately confused. No, I know. I know. You know, and then it, it, like, look, can I do it from like a weight perspective? I'm overweight. Can I talk about other people who are overweight? Yeah, because like, you're where included, is, right? I, I had a, I had a listener uh, hit me up in the DMs, and I probably should have sent it to you. I apologize. Yeah. Um, Who said he and his girlfriend had a long road trip together. And I remember it, this. You did send this. No, no, no. Same guy, but now a long one again. His girlfriend oh. wasn't like a, a fan of the show, but it was the fat jokes on our previous show, which hooked her in. <laughs> Good. So I'm telling you, there's some value in, in, you know, you guys making fun of how fat I am. Right. Which I will accept. Yeah. I am fat. Yeah. Some, but I, I just want you to know that. Some would say really fat. I, I could <laughs> see, I could take that and be offended by it, or yeah. I could respond to you. I could retort. Retort. That weight knows weight. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, thick knows thick. <laughs> exactly. If the two of us ran right towards each other, <laughs> there'd be a lot of reverberation. A lot. Yeah, it'd be like, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. that's the sound it would make. Is that offensive? Listen, I'm not touching this. <laughs> I'm just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. What's I truly don't understand what's offensive anymore. I don't know what's offensive anymore either. I mean, I love, I love what, um, what comedy represents and how they're constantly pushing against, you know, what's what are new like social norms um and they're trying to bring us back to a state where these things aren't but I, I i'm of the mindset that if you're making fun of any group so long as all the groups are getting jokes then you're all, you're being inclusive but the, the, the problem is that requires you staying through the jokes and some people just tune out right right away and but then here's the other problem the, they are stand-up professional comedians whereas we're not I don't know. I think I'm pretty funny. I, we, we, you and I think we're hilarious. I'm hilarious. But but that's their profession, and we kind of do it for like shits and giggles. Wow. Um, Until we start getting paid from this, it's not a profession. Or giggle shits, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Um, um, by the way, the Higher Standard Podcast, sponsored by nobody. You know who we should get sponsored by? Who? Tell me. So, you remember that that, that Greens company? The uh, Pre-Seon? I, so, I, t- I, t- I talked to them. Yeah. It, it's it's pronounced like a, it's supposed to be a play on precious or something like that or pressure or something yeah precious I don't know Spanish but it's not precion mm-hmm. it's uh, precion yeah like like you said it was oh uh, yeah precion 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 p r e s y o n I think it's p r oh yeah yeah p r e s y o n yeah anyway I, we should get a sponsor by them I, I've been going through that stuff faster than I could possibly get it in it's I know. Been incredible and it, i i use it have it every single day and we're not getting paid from this at all anybody it's absolutely amazing you know the worst part about it is is, is, is I, I can tell one day when i'm gonna go to the website and it's gonna be sold out i'm gonna be really pissed off yeah that we told people about it i know but i've already put in my second order anyway but i want to get sponsored by them we should hit them up and be like hey man like look like we've mentioned yeah. you a couple times on the show now and i really feel like you should hook us up with like a bunch of free stuff yeah let's start with the greens and we're working around and you know, the chris's digest doesn't need any digestive enzymes that's and, uh, that's taken care of you have a weight loss supplement <laughs> <laughs> yeah you got a you got a you got a pill for this yeah like some diabetes medication or something i could take right Is it like a shot but so I, I did want to mention a couple of things in the show, and then I know you had a, a story to talk about. But 
Yeah, I'm gonna leave this article for next time. We'll leave this over next time because there's a lot here that we can go into that I feel like has a tremendous value. Oh, the Blackstone thing, a big yeah. people. Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, I know there is somebody actively listening to the show right now who is trying to use it against me. What? Yeah. To state that uh, I am unprofessional. So for those of you listening to the show and you think like, why the hell do these two assholes sound kind of professional this time? Yeah. We just want to be able to say that we can do it. That's <laughs> yeah. It. Yeah. Up until the dick joke. Yeah. No, no, that was not a joke. That was a reference. There's was, a very big difference. Right. There's right, a very big difference. Right. I was just morbidly curious why he referenced the way that he did because I'm professional right. and you guys have dirty minds. I was very curious as to why he was rubbing anybody. Anyway. Anyway. I mean, I don't rub people. Up, boys. down, left. Yeah. Well, I don't know how you're rubbing them. I really don't rub anybody. Right. Uh, I, I rub my wife's feet. Does that count? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, she gets sore from walking around the house all day long. So right. I rub them, little toesies. Right. But uh, other than that, I've, I don't think I rubbed a man in a long time. Mm, yeah, a long time, huh? I mean, it's been a while. It's been, it's been a while. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Since episode 62. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so t- tell me, what, what's going on with Carter? How's Carter been these days? Anything new? My son? Yeah. He's been okay. He's, he's a big boy, man. He's going through, through phases, but uh, he's been wrestling a lot. Yeah? And... Uh, it, it frustrates the hell out of me because I keep trying to like go like, why didn't you stay in jujitsu? Like, why didn't you like you wouldn't go out on the mat? Oh, I mean that can still come. I mean, there's plenty of time for that. You know? Well, maybe, but in a situation like your son was in today, I wonder if if that time will come too too far along. Yeah, man. I mean, that was it was a big scare. I was frustrated. I didn't know how to handle it personally. So basically, what happened was um, what happened was what happened was. I got to call it uh, early in the morning, uh, like around 10 o'clock for my wife, and I knew something was wrong right away. You never call me at 10 o'clock. You got patience to be dealing with. She don't love you. Yeah. You don't love me like that. Yeah. yeah your break's at 1030. Not at 10. Wow. So uh, she she gives me a call, and I immediately I knew something's wrong. I answer, and she said, hey, I just got a call from the principal, and uh, Adam was hit at school today. Yeah. So basically- You're clarify hit. So I'll, I'll get into that. So um, every morning when I drop him off, um, he basically has to, he, he runs inside. They get to play on the playground until the school bell rings. And once it rings, all the kids have to line up on their number to, you know, get into class in a single file line. So there's this one kid in the class that I guess routinely gets in trouble, right? And Adam was looking out for this kid today. And it was time to line up. Adam was lined up on his number. And he called this kid by his name. I won't mention his name because I think some of the parents at the school listen to the show. <laughs> um, Don't do that. Yeah. And um, said, hey, buddy, like, go stand in line. You know, we have, to, we have to line up. And he didn't want him to get in trouble. But this kid routinely gets in trouble. So Adam was looking out for this kid. Um, Adam has told me before he doesn't actually like this kid very much. But he was just looking out for him. Mm. And um, the kid just, without hesitation, walks up to Adam had one of his like metal tumbler water bottle, hit him in the knees with it. Ow, damn. And then a right hook straight to the gut and then ran off. And Adam, anyone that knows Adam, he doesn't complain, doesn't cry, doesn't show pain at all. So when I, when I asked him, you know, did it hurt? He's like, yeah, it hurt. You know, and how, it, how badly did you want to go find that kid and punk him? It was hard. It took yeah. everything. When I saw red... I don't even know how to handle this situation. I didn't. I, I. I didn't prep for this situation, right? Like, what do you do in this moment? But apparently, See, I, I got went, a little brother who was punked in in high school, so I've, I've had a little bit of like that already mm-hmm. in my life. Yeah, and I'm not gonna lie, 
at that point in life, I probably made the wrong decision. Right. I found the kid. Yeah, you found the kid. <laughs> I found the kid. I yeah. scared that. I scared but you were you were younger though. We're we're adults now, so we have to we have to look at things obviously through a different lens, right? And something I was, I was really proud of Adam. Do we um, know? I know, I know. Like I won't be mad if you would have knocked him out, you know. But yeah. um, but basically, I was really proud of him when he handled it really well. He got hit and he turned. He he told the teacher um, what happened, and luckily uh, she saw the tail end of it, right? So uh, that got handled. It's, it's currently being resolved, but um, he didn't retaliate. What does currently being resolved mean? Well, we're still gonna find out. So they handled it with the kid. The parents. They did. handled with the kid, and apparently the kid, the kid's parents, and the kid are gonna do something for us. I don't know, because that was something I was actually so curious. They do about. make them him communicate with you guys afterward. Like uh, I think he write. I think they. I think what they're gonna do is have that kid write Adam a letter. You know, detailing like apologizing and explaining. And how old, how old do you think this kid is? Well, Adam is six, going on seven. So I don't know, somewhere in that I mean, ballpark. That's a tough age, man. Like, that's you, what I was wondering. I mean, like, at what age? Wonder, like, is that kid hit at home too? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I look at stuff like that and go, like, look, like, so my son has an aggressive streak, and I, I when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I, I, damn it, I don't want to tell you the guys the story because it's going to be used against me later on. No, no. All right, I'm going to tell you the story. This is not like an arrogant story. This is just me being honest. Okay. Okay. So don't take this some type of way. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I went to. Um, they thought I was a genius. Mm-hmm. They were wrong. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, I went to a, a Christian private school. Mm-hmm. And back then, corporal punishment was a thing. Like, they would hit you with paddles. Right. But the paddles were, like, aerodynamic. They drilled holes in them, so there was less wind resistance, and they beat the hell out of you. <laughs> wow. It was, it, was, it was legitimate. They, re- like, they really thought they, it oh, through. Yeah, they, they routed the edges like, all round off. I mean, they, Holy they, they, cow. They, they, looking back on it, the, the, the amount of, like, effort they put into making a paddle that whoop your ass Right. In like a real like hard way. Yeah. Like a real corporal like, punishment like way. There's, was, there's there's a line between hit and beat. Like yeah. And, and <laughs> God there's damn. a line between you doing this because you have to and because you, you like it. Right. Like when you start making this a hobby yeah. and like making your paddle air. Yeah, hey bro, why are you waxing the paddle? <laughs> yeah. Less wind resistance. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's, it's unbelievable. So they, they did that. So they wouldn't hit me though when I was a kid. Instead they put this like milk carton like punching bag together outside. When I got frustrated, I could go outside and punch it. Oh, wow. But as a kid, I had a temper. And I look back on it and I look at, you know, kind of like my, my, my dad and my wife's, my, my dad and my mom's marriage. And I think maybe some of their marriage, like, faults were com- coming out. And it yeah. was my way of handling anger. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I thought when I was growing up. My wife has a little bit of an anger streak in her and I do too. And we, you know, we're adults. So, obviously, when we get mad, we have our, we've found a way, because we're married, we found a way to work through those things. Right. But... You know, we, we all manage our anger differently, but you think it comes from your environment. I'm sure that it does in some cases. But my son, mm-hmm. um, my son, he has that anger in him. Yeah. And I know that I was treated differently because I thought I was a smart kid, which when you think about it, it's kind of fucked up. Right. Like, oh, this kid's smart, so we're not going to hit him. We're going to give him this opportunity. Right. And I don't know that that's fair or right or whatever, but I also don't want somebody hitting my kid and corporal punishment is not a thing anymore. Well, hitting, it, hitting is just wrong in general, especially like in that environment. Right. But here's what I'll say is like, okay, so you're my son mm-hmm. and you got this anger management issues and you're like six years old. Right. It could be his environment or it could be that it's just him not learning how to manage his emotions and he's got more of an emotional outburst tendency than your kid does. Right. Does. So, it's weird, man. As, as kids, a parent, I, 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 it's changed my perspective on well, it a these, lot. Well, these kids have like a lot of feelings and a lot of emotions, and when they can't articulate them, I think that's when they tend to lash out. It frustrates them. I'm right? telling you, man. Everybody should have TRT. 
in a hormone imbalance once in their life. Yeah. You will learn that your emotions are largely chemical. Yeah. It's incredibly eye-opening. Yeah. So basically what I ended up doing is just I, I praised Adam. I was really, really proud of him for the, for the way that he handled it. He, Adam is like head and shoulders taller than this kid. So if he really wanted to, he could have taken it out on him later or anything. But when I asked him about it, he said, I'm okay. He's just a bad kid. And Adam was almost, Smart. Adam almost felt bad for the kid, you know, because he does get into trouble all the time. And he, but you knew, know, a part he realized, of you was like, man, I wish you would have rolled with him. Oh yeah, I know exactly. And I, cause I was wondering, I was like, I'm, well, I'm taking you to these jujitsu lessons. Why didn't, you know, like that's got to kick in it's second nature, but, nah, man. but you he have, doesn't you realize have to be in that he's never been in a, in a yeah. situation where he's been hit. Right. And you and I had this you yeah. know, conversation earlier today where it was like, you know, Maybe it's a blessing in disguise. Now, now he's been in that situation once, mm -hmm. and um, he'll be able to read someone's body language maybe better the second time around, or or, or viscerally react now. Now, now he's like, okay, that hurt me last time. I'm not gonna let this. Right. I can. I yeah. can. I can. You know, better prepare myself for it in the in the moment next time. And now he'll know just maybe stay away from this kid. And I mean, there's definitely a learning lesson here from him for him. But um, but if the coach or sensei were here, he would say the whole point of what he's learning in self-defense is that he can defend himself, not attack. Yes. That's so. the, and that's the thing. That's, and that's why I love jujitsu, right? For the kids. It's, it teaches them how to deescalate a situation. Doesn't teach them how to whoop his ass. Had he started rolling with him, he would have just mounted him and just held him until the teacher got there. Maybe you should demo for me real quick. Don't Arun, come over here for a second. Side <laughs> wants to mount you and demo. Yeah. The proper self-defense technique. Exactly. I'll get you in that side mount control, baby. And then I'll rub you the wrong way. Yeah, if we had if, if we had any if we had any free time, that's what I, that's something I would love to pick up. To mount him? Yes. Or what yes. do you mean? Like yeah. Jiu-jitsu? Yeah, I would. I, I wish I would love to. Well, your lower body's built like a tank. If you mounted somebody, it'd be game over. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, there'd be no way that anybody's getting off the ground with that. World champion, right here. World champion, and then um, like you know, for defense, you can just point your booty at him. I don't need to, bro. Best defense is a great offense. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna tell you right now, no. No, he nope. said nope. Nope. Yeah. Nope. You'd be great at it though. Long limbs. Bro, I, I was in some type of martial arts like my entire childhood. Yeah. Like the entire childhood. It, it started off with Ribokai, a little bit of Taekwondo, and then ended with Kempo. Mm -hmm. um, all before obviously M MMA was a thing. Mm -hmm. And I was going to all those tournaments as a kid. My dad would judge them. Yeah. That was, a, that was a big part of my upbringing is my dad would be going to, I mean, in the room next door to us where my dad's office is. Right. There's still pictures of him from those days. Stud. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time around martial arts when I was a kid. What's weird for me is now seeing it so viscerally. At, I grew up when it was truly an art form and it was more, more art and culture than it was truly fighting. Yeah. The whole point was not to fight. And to see people who train to fight, it blows my mind. Yeah. Right. It blows my mind. So, mm -hmm. all right. Well, I think we leave this episode on a high note. Let's do it. I love you, Said. I love you too, man. Oh, we got to read that last review. We do have to read the last review. That last review was a good one. I pulled up. It was a very interesting one. I, you know, it was. I'm curious to know. Do you know this person? No, I don't. Food and roll one five two. I mean, it sounds a little racist, but again, it's all good. That's what it says. I'm not. I'm not making this up. Again, I don't know who it offends people anymore. I have yeah. to just be, be clear. I don't, I'm <laughs> not really entirely sure. Hmm. Two thumbs up and five stars. Excellent podcast. Thank you. Yeah, we Tuna appreciate roll. you. Tuna roll. We do. I love tuna rolls. Yeah, I love me too. Yeah. <laughs> Some would say you love them too much. 
these gentlemen bring it and are masters at podcasting that provides informative financial news while balanced with good old-fashioned humor. Good old-fashioned humor. Yes. Notice they didn't say racist humor. Yeah, yeah. That all... jokes obviously doesn't offend tuna roll. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just saying, like, you know, maybe we, maybe, maybe this professional Chris is, isn't getting the job done. Right. <laughs> uh, Adam, who? Huh? I don't get that. I think yeah, that was his mind pump. Yeah, I'm Adam. not doing. I'm not. I'm not. Dude, Adam's a homie. He's a homie. Like, yeah, I yeah. talked to Adam today. Yeah. Actually, I spoke to him. He didn't speak to me. I sent him a text, which he did not respond to. Oh, I'm salty about it. I'm very on, he salty. left you on red. You know, you read it. I don't know that he left me on red. I think he leaves me on the intentionally ignore. Yeah. I know you saw it, dog. Yeah. yeah do not disturb. Yeah. <laughs> and the worst part about it is, is like I'll, I'll DM him on Instagram. And he'll respond. Oh, you know what he told me? He, he told me he was texting you one time, and he tried to leave the group chat, but it was just between you two, so he couldn't leave. You wanted to leave your chat. <laughs> Just read the rest of the game. <laughs> so this is actually pretty creative. Uh, Tuna Roll, he left us questions on the review. Ask Chris, what do you think about kids' participation tro- uh, sports trophies? Oh, is that what this was? They were asking, he was asking us questions? He says, ask Chris. Oh, I hate them. Yeah. You, don't, you don't get a trophy in life for participating. I don't believe in it either, man. Yeah, you get a W or an L. My son, oh my God, my son and I got, in, got into it. Yeah. We, we went upstairs and I... And he's like, I want to win, Daddy. And, I, and of course, I'm an athlete, bro. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> so I beat, him up, I beat him up the stairs. He refuses to go upstairs. And my wife comes up the stairs and he's like, Mommy, Mommy, Daddy won't let me win. Yeah. My wife's an athlete too, bro. Right. What did she do? She went upstairs. She's like, now you lost twice. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. I know. So uh, Adam's first introduction to sports, he was on a soccer team. Uh, which we pulled him out of because he was like picking four leaf clovers out of the ground anytime he found one. Um, but he got a particip- participation trophy at the end of the year and it's like in his closet and he looks at it and some days he wants me to take it down so he can hold it again. And I can't I can't help myself. I have to look at him sometimes and be like, man, you didn't earn that. Come on. Oh. Come on, dude. Dude, you didn't earn this. Yeah, no. Yeah, so that's why I feel like I, I like the uh, the stripe and the belt system in jiu-jitsu firm. Like he's, you're earning this. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. He's on his he's on his way to his his first belt change. Participation trophies are trash. Yeah. Ask Saeed, what is your favorite non-breakfast food? And again, I think it's an appropriate question to ask a large person. But that's yeah. <laughs> well done. Totally agree with to that. To the roll, yeah. To yeah. the roll, got you spot on. I mean, favorite all time. My my favorite meal is like you know steak and potatoes. So I love a ribeye. That's medium rare. Yeah, first of all, it's insulting the tuna roll. Tuna roll setting you up for the. I love tuna rolls. Yeah, all. Oh, yeah, you didn't take the bait. I didn't take the bait. And we all know you like potatoes and ribeye. <laughs> yeah, of like, course. Like, yeah. You're not. You're not selling yeah. anything we don't know. Hawaiian ribeye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're due for one of those. We should go for you know a higher standard podcast business dinner. Yeah, there you go. To Houston's and get a Hawaiian ribeye. I love it. Arun will pay. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, your hazing period's yeah. not over with yet. Yeah, you, you got a name on the show. Doesn't mean you don't hate it. Yeah, and you got a mic. I know. Why do we do that? Yeah. He, yeah. He's cueing us. Like, hey, turn my mic on. Yeah, that was a little offensive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd like you to do this from now on with your hands together <laughs> like you're praying. <laughs> like that, that, that's, a, that's, that's the way. I want you to pray for the mic. <laughs> Instead of point at me. I want you to, yeah. please, please. And then I go, yes, I will give you the mic. Yes. Speak now. Oh, yeah, we'll grant you access. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we're done granting him access and say, say goodbye. Appreciate it, everybody. Good night, everybody. See you on the next show. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. 
Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you are listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, so be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.